0: and everyone else be seated all right well i'm going to uh next couple weeks i'm going to finish out my series going through uh first second and third john we've been doing first john on sunday nights but second and third john there's are shorter chapters. I think I can go through those pretty quick, so I figured I'd hit those in the Sunday school hour. Plus, I've got some other messages I've been wanting to preach on Sunday night, but I want to get to these for a while, hoping to uh, possibly start that. Next week, we'll see what happens, but uh, we're going to go to 2 John. Only one chapter in 2 John there at the end of your Bible. And we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children... Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. And I want to focus on that term, the elect lady, that we see. Because you know, what does that mean? There's a lot of different opinions about what that means, and um, you know, I don't. I'm going to give you my opinion on what that means, and it might not be 100% right because this is the only place in the Bible where we see that term used, the elect lady. Uh, second John is the only place in the Bible that uses the term lady with the exception of Isaiah chapter 47 that we're going to go to in a little bit, but I think there's a very good reason that he used that term, the elect lady and her children. And these are people that he loves in the truth. And not only does he love these people in the truth, but all those that have known the truth, love this church. And so, uh, but I don't believe this term was one used exclusively for this church, whatever one it is that he's writing to. Probably the same one that he wrote 1 John 2. Don't know for sure. But uh, at the, if you look at the very end of the book in verse 13, it says, The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So, I believe he's making a reference to other churches and he refers to them as the elect sister, saying that they are greeting them as well. And so, Uh, I believe he may have used that term because of the fact that this was a doctrinally pure church. I personally think that's why he used that term. And I think it's similar to what we see the apostle Paul talking about in Ephesians chapter five. Now here in Ephesians chapter five, he's given instructions about husbands and loving their wives, but then he makes comparison here in verse 25. He says, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So how does God sanctify and cleanse his church? By the washing with the word, by the word of God. And it says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so I believe that the reference that we're seeing here is to their the the truth of what they preach i believe it is very important as a church that we do everything we can to allow this bible to wash us and a lot of times we use that in reference to just keeping sin out of our life and understand a lot of references in the bible to doctrine are in reference to our behavior and how we act as christians there's a lot of that it's not just an intellectual position that we have some people think they're really good christians because they have a, a, a correct intellectual position when it comes to the Trinity. And I'm glad they've got that. But then if you live like the devil too, you know what? You're not doctrinally pure because you're you're violating a lot of scripture that talks about how we should behave and how we should act. But I believe God wants us to be pure both. I want I believe he wants to be pure in our behavior. There's some people that have really good behavior, but then they have really weird doctrines that they teach. You know, there's Amish out there that, you know, they... They have some pretty good behavior, but they've got some pretty bad doctrine, too. And I believe we need to try to have both. And I believe when we do, when we let the Bible change us, when it changes how we think, when it changes how we act, when we conform ourselves to what the Bible teaches, it purifies us. And ultimately, what uh, Paul wanted to do is he wanted to be able to present this church holy and without blemish to God. And that's how we need to be. We want, when Christ comes back, we want our doctrine to be right on the money. And I say, well, nobody's perfect. Well, we should still try. We shouldn't just say, no, use nobody's perfect as an excuse to have flaws that we don't deal with, because we do have a perfect book that tells us how we can fix our flaws. So we should always be a work in progress in trying to do something. So uh, again, so I believe this term elect lady is is in reference, a title he's using to uh illustrate their doctrinal purity they have i think this was a church that was very good when it came to doctrine and he goes on so in verse one he's been talking about the truth he's made a couple references to the truth verse two for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever so again another reference to the truth it's something that was inside them and so now turn over to isaiah chapter 47 so I believe he's referring to this church as, a late, as an elect or a chosen lady because of the fact that they were, they were doctrinally pure. And if we look at Isaiah chapter 47, Isaiah chapter 47, I think this is interesting. I think we can kind of see how they used the word you know, back then uh, you know, when they uh, wrote the King James to kind of get an idea. Because a lot of times we talk about lady, it's in reference to manners, right? But I believe, too, it could be something more than that. I could think it's a reference to her purity. And it says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit in the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the lady of kingdoms. I was wroth with my people; I have polluted mine inheritance, and given them into thy hand. Thou didst show them no mercy upon the ancient. Thou hast, uh, ancient, hast thou verily, very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things at heart, neither didst thou remember the latter end of it. So here it's saying, well, I'm going to remain a lady forever. But he's saying, no, you're not going to be a lady anymore. And it's very clear when you look at the, what he's been talking about here, it's because the fact they've been violated, they've allowed things to corrupt them. And so I think it's just a reference to a pure uh, virgin lady. And I believe God wants us to be a pure church. He wants us to be one, like Paul said, without spot or wrinkle, without any such blemish that he wants to present us to God, holy and chaste. And again, this is a reference to doctrine, not just intellectual positions, but also in our behavior as well. It's very important that we understand that. So I do, I think when he called this church, the elect lady, I think this is a, is a compliment. I think he's showing them that this is a church that is very good and uh, and I do believe, in it's my opinion, that he's writing to the same people in 3 John and I do think when we look at 3 John, uh, we're going to see that while they had the right positions, they had the right doctrine, they had some individuals that they needed to take care of in that church because there were some people that were at risk of you know taking away some of the purity of this church. So... I don't want to get ahead of myself and get into third John, but we'll see more evidence of this next week that I think uh, will help. But anyway, so in verse three, he goes on and says, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God, the father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of the father in, lo- in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the father. So he's commending this church because those who came from that church, they were doing right, and it was a reflection of that church. said, you all are, you know, you're doing the truth. You're walking in the truth. You're following the commandments. You're doing what you're supposed to do as a church. People act like we're not supposed to judge anybody. Well, it looks like John was judging these people. It was just good. It was positive judgment. He says in 3 John, in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so John understood the importance of a church not allowing things to corrupt them, you know, keeping that purity where it needs to be. Too many churches today, they just have this attitude, you know, just we're tired of fighting battles, you know, I'm tired, you know, let's just, let's just compromise. Let's just lighten up. This doesn't seem to be John's attitude. And, you know, and so when you think about here in second, John, what I personally think we're seeing here is he's writing to the church as a whole. You know, he's just kind of, you know, this is just a, a general epistle to the entire church. But then, and he's kind of giving a, you know, I guess, a analysis of the church as a whole. But when we get into third John, he gets a little more specific because, you know, he singles out some people. You know, some's, po- some's positive, but some are negative because they were. They were at risk of hurting this church. And it doesn't look like he's thinking, yeah, you know what, they're doing good for the most part. Let's just leave them alone. No, we, we always need a clean house when a house needs cleaning. Otherwise, things are going to grow and it's going to become a problem. We're going to have all kinds of problems. So, verse 5 says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. And so it would seem that this was a very special theme for John because it was heavily emphasized in 1 John. We did a, a whole chapter on I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that uh, from 1 John chapter 2 where he's talking about the new commandment and it's that we love one another. Okay? If, if we will love each other as a church, we will take the other commandments will take care of themselves. We won't even need to think about those other commandments. All that, the, the only two commandments we should all need to think about, if you all want to carry around a list, you don't even need to carry the whole Bible around to help keep you in line, even though I'm not telling you to put your Bible on the shelf. I'm just saying, two commandments: love God, love your neighbor, you'll be fine. If you do those two things, you're going to be fine. Those other things will take care of itself. You're not going to try to steal from your neighbor when you love your neighbor. It's just not going to happen. So, um, in, so the, in uh, First John 2, and we're not going to take time to read all these. I don't want to repeat a lot of stuff that i repeated when i went through first john but in first john 2 he refer, talked about the new commandment he in john 13 i think this is a direct reference to what jesus brought up in john 13:33 he said little children yet a little while i'm with you you shall seek me as i said unto the jews whither i go ye cannot come so now i say to you a new commandment i give unto you that ye love one another as i have loved you that ye also love one another by this shall all men know that ye are my my disciples if ye have love one to another. So notice here too, people, they're supposed to identify us with Christ by our love for each other, by the way that we treat each other. And so that, that's a very important thing that, you know, we're not as a church, you know, people come visit our church and we're not all, you know, throwing stones at each other and fighting over dumb stuff and, you know, just having all kinds of division and contention and things like that. People need to see that, and you know. Here's the thing, too. We've got lost people. We're trying to get saved. People that obviously are going to have all kinds of issues. And then if they see us strangling each other for our petty little things, what do they? What are they going to think we're going to do to them when they come in? You know, everybody needs to learn to just take a chill pill. People just they don't know how to balance being hardcore in their beliefs, and with and yet still being gracious and kind to other people, it, and it, it, you know, it's just, everybody who throws out their TV wants to just make everybody else do the same thing too, and hate on everyone that doesn't do it, it's like, you know, for 30 years, you did something wrong, and then you finally got it right, and you're ready to just nail everyone's hide to the wall the next day, you know, why do you have to be that way, Why can't you, if you're so right in what you're doing, why can't you just enjoy the fact that you're doing right and you're in God's will and he's going to bless you more than everybody else now? Why can't you just be content with that? You know, because that's the devil using another sin you haven't repented of, and that's pride. And you need to to get over that too, because that's that's a really big sin. So people ought to identify us by our love we have for each other. And so uh, verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So an antichrist right here. This is the only book in the Bible too, or uh, John's writings are the only writings where we see the term antichrist. He doesn't even use that term in the book of Revelation yet. We talk about an antichrist all the time. And an antichrist here, according to John, is someone who... Claims that Jesus Christ is not come in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. If someone claims that the Messiah has not come in the flesh, they are an antichrist. If somebody claims that there's a Messiah, but it's not Jesus, they are an antichrist. And not only that, but if somebody, and I, you know, and we got to be careful not taking things farther than John did, but at the same time, too understand what he's about to talk about here is a very clear doctrine about Jesus Christ being come, because it says in the flesh. Now, what a lot of people will say, you know, and I talked about this when we wrote through 1 John, they'll talk about the Gnostics and all the weird things that they taught. And the Bible doesn't really make reference to those things. But if what these people are claiming from history is true, the Gnostics, they had this weird teaching, you know, that Christ came, but it wasn't like a literal physical coming it was more of like a spiritual manifestation you know it was like that happened but no jesus christ literally came in the flesh and folks this is a very important doctrine and understand there are more and more weird variations of this type of doctrine that john is referring to popping up okay I, i get very nervous when i hear people who sound like they're teaching that jesus christ when he came to Earth, he like it's like they're teaching he just kind of possessed a body. It's like they don't want to admit, you know, that the the full humanity of Jesus Christ. I don't I don't believe that Jesus Christ came to Earth on December 25th, year zero. Okay, and I know we don't know the exact date, but you all know what I said. I don't believe it was when he was born. I believe he came to Earth nine months before that. I believe that it was the Son of God. I believe it was Jesus Christ. He was made. Like he, he was made like in the seed of Abraham. He became flesh just like you. And I. Just like it was you in your mother's womb at the moment of conception. It was God, the son in the womb of Mary at the moment of conception. He became a man. Now, here's the difference between him and us. Physically speaking, he didn't have an earthly father. He did not have a father that was from the line of Adam, but he was. A, he did have an earthly mother. He was a woman and he was man. He was made out of flesh. Just as much as you and I, and when Jesus died, he died, just like you, you and I would die. And you know what? When he died, and that body was put into a tomb, okay, the reason it didn't see corruption was not because it was some unique body. It was just because it was only dead for three days. Had he been dead longer than that, it would have seen corruption. But God raised him from the dead, and and that was and the reason the Bible emphasizes that is because of a prophetic psalm where it said, thou will not leave my soul in hell, nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption, which was a reference to the fact that he was going to resurrect. Before he could see corruption, before the body would deteriorate, he would not be left in hell. He would come back from the dead. That's what that's that's teaching. And understand, when Jesus Christ came back from the dead, he came back in that same body that was formed in the womb of Mary. And you know what he did with that same body? He didn't just leave it because it wasn't like some temporary vessel. No, it was him. It was who he became. And you know what he did? He ascended up to heaven in that body. And did you know in that same body that was in the womb of Mary, he's in heaven today. And did you know when he comes back, it's going to be in that same body? You know why? Because Jesus became a man just like you and I. And when we die, okay, this body is going to go into the grave, isn't it? But then at the rapture, God's going to resurrect this body and he's going to glorify it. And so we will be changed in the sense of we're going to lose the sin nature. We're going to lose all the bad stuff, but it's going to be this body that we rise with. First Corinthians is very clear about that. And a lot of people are teaching really weird stuff about what happened when Jesus Christ came to earth, when Jesus Christ died, when he rose again, just to try to get out of, you know, around unpopular doctrines. But you know, you've got to watch it. You're messing with the doctrine of Christ. And the doctrine of Christ, it is, it's very important how he came to earth. The virgin birth is very important. You know why the virgin birth is very important? Because of the fact, too, it had to be a man to pay for sins. Because it was, uh, it was man that brought death into the world. It had to be a man that would bring life into the world. But he had to be born of a virgin, too, to show who he was, that he was the Son of God. To show too why he didn't have a sin nature like literally every other man that's ever existed has. These things are all very important. And I don't want to get into all the reasons these teachings are important. uh, But let me just say, John very clearly in this book makes it very clear these are very important doctrines. These are not things you should mess with. And not only should we not, not only is he calling people antichrist that teach things contrary, but he goes on to say don't even have anything to do with them. You know why? Because we don't want them corrupting our teaching because we want to maintain our purity as a church. So we, uh, verse 8, look what it says. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And this is in reference to the truths that have been taught in this church. And so we have a responsibility to be thorough and diligent in our doctrine and we should fight to keep it pure. And you know, we should be humble enough to fix anything that we get wrong. We, we, we've got to be that way. God's trying to clean us up and we should always be growing. We should always be learning. And, you know, we hear preachers all the time bragging about how, you know, I've never changed on anything. And, you know, I get what they're saying most of the time. And, you know, we do, we support, we ain't changing type mentalities and attitudes. And, And here's what most people mean when they say we ain't changing. They're, they're saying we're not giving in to the pressure from the world and from the liberals. That's what most people mean. Okay. So when you hear, and I say it all the time too, but at the same time, you know, if we haven't changed at all in 40 years, you know, I'm 40, 41, I'm 41 years old, then, you know, is the Lord even working in your life? Shouldn't He be changing us? Are we like Christ yet? Are we like Stephen was when He was showing His true colors as the Son of God when He was preaching and His face showing like, are we there yet? No, we're not. So you know what we should be doing? We should be changing. We should be getting better. We should be learning and other. And if we don't, if we allow things to corrupt us, we will not receive a full reward. We're going to lose some of our reward. And so errors in doctrine, they affect our reward. Now, why, why will that affect our reward? And it's very clear because our reward is based on our ministry and are reaching other people. That is what we do as Christians. That is what we do as a church. We are not here just to make each other feel good and have a therapy session every week. We are also to meet together, you know, to edify each other so we can go out and we can win more people. So we can go out and see more lives change. So we can teach more people how to live according to the doctrine of Christ. And we need, and it's very important that we get something that's very misunderstood. Now, turn over to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to... Uh, probably go to several different passages here i want to try to quickly go through this but this is something that's often forgotten if some of you saw my video where i was um debunking a lot of the foolishness about one, uh that people teach the where you can lose your salvation i addressed a lot of this so i'm kind of repeating some of this but i think it's worth repeating in colossians 122 it says in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now people will use this passage to teach you can lose your salvation if you don't continue in the faith. I absolutely 100% reject that teaching. That is not the case at all. Because what does the faith mean? What does it mean to continue in the faith? I get it. We're saved by faith, but that salvation by faith in Christ, that's what saves us. But the faith is a reference to our doctrine, to what we teach. And notice too, how he mentioned presenting you a church, unreprovable in the sight. just like Paul said in Ephesians chapter five. I think the same thing too, this church here in second John, you know, was pretty much there in many ways, but he's trying to encourage them to stay there. But let's look at verse 18 of Colossians 1. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church. Not talking about individual, he's talking about the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So when he says, if ye continue in the faith, does it mean if you continue in the faith, you're going to go to heaven? No, because we, ha- we don't see hell on the table here in this passage. Here's what we do see on the table is the possibility that you might not be unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And so the thing is, when we stand before Christ, what's he going to have to fix in us? And if we get off in our doctrine, we're going to get in trouble. You know, there's, there's going to be problems. And not only that, but we are going to become ineffective in our ministry. If we are teaching wise, I don't care if you're saved, you're not going to be effective in your ministry. And so it's uh, in Colossians 2, 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So continue in the faith as ye have been taught. Continue following these things, these doctrines. We see in 1 Timothy 3, 8, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith, In a pure conscience, anybody who is going to be a deacon in a church, they ought to be someone who doesn't just know how to repeat back the doctrine. It doesn't, it shouldn't be people that knows I'm supposed to be King James only. I'm supposed to believe one saved, always saved. No, it needs to be somebody who can preach it in a pure conscience, meaning they actually believe it. You know, that it's something that's been internalized with them. And a lot of people are preaching a lot of truth, but not with a pure conscience. Well, I'll get up and preach one saved, always saved. Because if I don't, my church is going to run me out. You know what? That's not good. You know, you ought to preach it because you actually believe it. And I'm tired of phonies making us look bad. Phonies out there preaching truth because of political pressure instead of just preaching it out of a pure conscience. And you know what? We shouldn't ordain somebody like that. That's not that's not what we're looking for. And they need to hold that mystery of the faith. And a pure conscience in first Timothy 5:8. but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So right there, we see if you does not take care of your own house, what does that have to do with getting saved? It doesn't have anything to do with getting saved. It has everything to do with being a good Christian. You ought to be taking care of your family. You ought to be looking after your house. And if you don't, you're a sorry person. Do you know there's infidels that will at least take care of their family? Because they have that basic decency. And if you won't do that, knowing the truth that you know, you've denied the faith, you're worse than an infidel. Because it's always worse when you know better and you do the wrong thing. So I believe that's, so right there we see a good reference to that. 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So again, we need to avoid foolish talking, foolish teaching that is only going to steer us away from the truth. Now, I've got a lot more references I can show on that. I'm not going to take time to go through them. But here's what we've got to understand too, is the, the reason it is so important that you keep your doctrine pure is because if you get away from true doctrine... You will be ineffective. You will not bear fruit if you start teaching weird things. I don't believe you'll lose your salvation. I don't believe anybody. I don't believe there is anything in the Bible that alludes to anyone ever losing their salvation. But we do see a lot of areas where people veer off from the faith. That there will be uh, that uses terms like shipwreck and uh, different things. Uh, you know, a lot of strong terms. But again. Our goal as a church is ministry. We're trying to get people saved. We're trying to make a difference in people's lives. If our doctrine becomes trash, we will not do that. We won't get anybody saved. We start teaching weird doctrines about Jesus. We start teaching He didn't really come in the flesh. We start teaching He's not really the Messiah. Are we going to get anybody saved with that kind of teaching? No. And therefore, what's the point of this church? You know what? The building's still here. We might even have the people still here, but as far as God concerned, the ship has sank because it's not doing its job. It's not accomplishing anything. And so we got to watch out for that. So verse nine um, says, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, this is important too. And because, again, nobody's perfect in their doctrine, especially when they first get saved. Okay, We we need to get that. There's a lot of people. They might have even been saved for a long time, but they've never been in a good church. They haven't been taught very much. So, you know, don't just automatically declare people unsaved when they get something wrong. You know, they answer a trivia question wrong or something like that. You know, just don't, you know, don't be too quick to do that. Okay. You know, some people, when you, they go out soul winning, it's like that. They don't think anybody they talk to is already saved. It's like they're professing faith in Christ. They don't believe you can lose your salvation. But then you start asking the weird hypothetical questions. They don't answer something right. And then you try to give them the gospel again. That, that frustrates me greatly. Okay, uh, we, we, don't need, we don't need to be that way. But at the same time, while people aren't going to be exactly where they should be, you're not automatically downloaded with all the secrets of the Bible when you get saved. But you know what? you know, we do expect them to eventually come around. We do expect that to eventually happen. And you know what? But here's the thing too. Sometimes people don't come around on certain doctrines. And when they don't, their faith is made shipwreck. They are useless Christians. They will not bear fruit. And maybe it's that they're not saved. Sometimes that's why people don't come around. Sometimes it's because they're not saved. And if they're not saved there's a lot of things they're not going to understand because the, there are many things in the Bible are spiritual. That are, they're spiritually discerned and they're not going to get it. So, but for those of you who just really want to know which ones, you know, when somebody leaves, all right, which ones were saved and which ones aren't, you know, I would look at it this way, okay? So when someone's faith is made shipwreck, okay, they just, you know, they quit and they're useless as Christians, Okay, if they were saved, they're probably just going to vanish and are just never going to do anything for God. And I think there's a lot of people out there like that. They are saved. And man, when Jesus comes back, they're going to be ashamed of his coming. They are not going to have any rewards. And but they're going to be saved yet, so is by fire. But they're but they you know, when they leave us, they're just going to go away. And they won't bother us anymore. But when someone is just unsaved, okay they will probably move on and not only go on to teach their wicked doctrine, but they will also become an enemy to the church they're from. Remember what Paul said about these people that were going after them? That's an evident token of perdition. And so sometimes people, they get offended, you know, like the uh, seed that grew on the stony ground, you know, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it choked it and it became unfruitful. Not unsafe, but unfruitful. And sometimes people, they come into a church... And they do. They get offended for whatever reason. You know, they give up. They quit. And they do. They move on. I don't think we should declare these people unsaved. But again, in, in, when people get mixed up in a really bad doctrine, and then they just want to go on, you know, they join the Catholic Church, join the Mormon Church, something like that, you know, they, say, yeah, they probably weren't saved. And especially, too, when they're attacking. You know, that's an evident token of perdition. So that's when we're going to say, yeah, they're one of them infiltrators, you know, they're one of, you know, but not everybody is like that. So verse 10 says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, what doctrine the doctrine uh, about Jesus Christ, that he came in the flesh it says, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed speed is partaker of his evil deeds. And so again, what was specifically brought up? It was the doctrine that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. It was an antichrist doctrine and any doctrine like that should not only be rejected, but we shouldn't even bless those who teach it. Don't bid them Godspeed. Don't make them feel good. Have you ever gone to a door before and the people are like, oh, I'm Catholic, but then they compliment you for doing what you're doing? You know, there are some other religion complete, teach something completely different, but you know, they send us away with blessings. Now, I would rather them do that than cuss us out. But I often think, how inconsistent. You know, according to you, I'm sending people to hell. According to me, you're sending people to hell. You know, if I'm out here sending people to hell, why are you blessing me? Okay? When Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house, I don't send them away with a blessing. You know, and I always make sure, I don't even say, goodbye. I always just make sure it's just an awkward, abrupt ending. <laughs> and it is, it's awkward, because we are, in our culture, we typically, when we close out a conversation... We give some kind of friendly greeting, you know, or, or you know, salutation or whatever. That's our, that's kind of how we do things. And so when you're having a conversation with somebody and it's just like, we're done. And there's this nothing, it's awkward. And you know what? I love it. All right? yeah, that's how it should be with people like that. I think this is right. And so, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be this way across the board. And anyone who is not teaching this said they're not going to get a blessing from us. And just because they have a specific ethnicity, you know, they're not getting a special blessing when they deny that Jesus is a Christ, when they deny that Christ has come in the flesh. So that goes for JWs, it goes for Jews, it goes for Mormons. Same thing across the board. All right? No discrimination. All right? we're, you know, what doesn't, or, or not discrimination. Um, you know, we're going you know, to be all-inclusive. Okay? Anybody who teaches this junk, we're going to be mean to all of them. Okay? We're not going to be especially mean to any, even though the JWs, you know, they really, they really get my goat, but anybody who's teaching weird doctrines like this, we ought to reject them. So, uh, and we do, I I think we have every right to break fellowship with people who teach weird heresies about Jesus. I think this is an area where we must be diligent and I've had to talk to people before and like, Hey, listen, you're, you're getting weird on this teaching here. I think you're taking some of this stuff too far. You know, you don't have to agree exactly what I do about what all took place in the three days that Jesus was dead. But when you start teaching weird things about the flesh of Jesus Christ and like it, you know, this, this teaching that Jesus just possessed the human body, that's weird. I think we're getting into second John territory here. And, you know, I believe we ought to give people an opportunity to repent you know I, I, you know you need a, so there's some things people need to be rebuked sharply for, but uh, it's it's dangerous stuff because all these doctrines are very key and very important. So it says, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full, little or the children of thy Alexis to greet thee amen. And so while not much was covered in this letter, the most important subject was, you know, and that's you know, loving, uh, loving the brethren. But it does seem that there are, from the next book, that there's some lesser things that need to be dealt with. But uh, those things too, we see he was going to address them when he got there. Because notice he said, I have many things to write unto you, but I will not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you. So again, he's given a very gen- this is kind of a general thing. And so overall, this church is getting an A. But you know what? You know, maybe it wasn't quite an A+. Plus. And uh, and John wants this church to be pure. He wants it to be right. And so he's kind of letting them know, when I come, I'm going to take care of some of these specifics because they need to be dealt with. And you know what? I don't know, but hopefully this church had the attitude of, all right, I wonder what he's seeing. I wonder what, I wonder what we've got wrong. I hope, you know, and, and I hope they had the attitude of, you know what? I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So we can fix it. You know, a lot of people today in church, they have an attitude of, I hope the pastor doesn't get on my sins. They get offended when their sins get brought up because, you know, they don't, they don't have this attitude. I want to be pure. I want to be spotless. I want to be, you know, unreprovable and unblameable in his sight when Jesus comes. But that's the attitude that we need to have. That's the attitude we need to have as individuals An attitude we need to have as a church. And so I do, I think this letter was mainly for two things. I think one, he's just, I think this letter is just kind of letting him know, Hey, I'm coming. I'm coming to check up on you guys. And I think, too, it was because he wanted him to be ready for his coming. You know, this was uh, this was a great church, but there were some issues that needed to be dealt with, assuming third John is written to the same church we're going to talk about next week. But again, he wants them to know he's coming because, you know, it, it's kind of like sometimes you may be able to warn your kids when you're on your way home. Hey, I'm going to be home in 10 minutes. Now, why are you doing that? Because you don't want to catch them being bad. You don't want to find the house trashed. You know, you're wanting them to succeed, you know, because you don't want to deal with anything when you get home, but because you have a feeling I might need to deal with some stuff. You give them a little warning. And I think that's what was going on here with John. It's like, you know, I'm hearing good things for the most part, but I have some concerns. I'm going to warn this church that I'm coming. So hopefully they can get their act together and then I won't have much to deal with when I get there. That, that's what I personally think that he's doing. And so we'll talk about that next week. But either way, if we can get anything from this, hopefully we just it, it'll just renew our mind in this area of making sure we keep our doctrine good, that we're always learning, that we're always growing, and that we're always cleaning ourselves up and not just getting the intellectual positions right. That's so It's easy to do that. You know, I know what the Bible says about repentance. I know what the Bible says about salvation. Great. I'm glad you got that down. Can you please learn how to act like a Christian now? Got a lot of people. They know how to get people saved, but they do not know how to act like they're saved. That's embarrassing. You know that? That's embarrassing. And it's not even just embarrassing for, you know, the church, for the pastor. It's going to be embarrassing for you when Jesus comes back. And we don't want you to be that way when he comes back. So, Hopefully this was a help and a blessing. So let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you for uh, this uh, wonderful letter that we were able to read. I pray, Lord, it will motivate all of us to uh, be sound in our doctrine, to be pure. And I pray it will help us to always be studying, always learning, and always ready uh, to let you change us and conform us uh, into you. In your name we pray. Amen.